to our third episode of the Destination Cloud podcast series by Meripar Technologies. I'm Alex Borland, and I will be your host for today. Meripar is a leading European technology consulting and software engineering company exclusively focused on media and entertainment. Each episode, we'll be discussing hot topics affecting our industry, including the role of cloud technologies, the relevance of agility, and future predictions for the industry. You can find out more about Meripar and this podcast series by visiting our website, www.meripar.com. And of course, we'd love your feedback. On today's episode, I'm joined, as always, by Simon McGrath, Meripar's VP of Strategy and Portfolio, and my co-pilot in the series. Hi, Simon. Hi, Alex. It was a great previous episode with Andy Spence, Meripar's Head of Agile Coaching, and Helen Meek from Ripple Rock, two formidable Agile coaches. Any reflections, Simon, on that? Yeah, I thought it was a great conversation, Alex. I think I went into that conversation expecting a discussion of the different merits of either Waterfall or exclusively Agile with a capital A. And what we had was a conversation around culture, leadership, empowerment, transparency, different ways of utilizing the tools of agility alongside perhaps some waterfall techniques as well to deliver great outcomes, all of which might be handled in a different way for different customers and different environments. I thought it was a really great conversation, yes. Indeed, yeah. The cultural element of it was huge, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a great podcast. Today, we are gazing into our crystal ball. We're thinking about the future hot topics and predictions for the media industry into 2023. And I'm really pleased today to welcome two fantastic guests for our session. Jenny Priestley, editor of TVB Europe, and our very own Klaus Seller, who's our CTO at Meripar. Hi, Jenny and Klaus. How are you both doing today? Yeah. Hi, guys. I'm doing fine. So we'll welcome to you both and thanks for sharing your time on our Destination Cloud podcast. Jumping right into the topics and thinking about predictions for 2023, I think one of the most important issues and considerations facing our industry today, Jenny, is the economic climate. We know there's a huge change coming down the line, the cost of living crisis. How do you think, Jenny, this is affecting the media operators and broadcasts, both right now and also going into the next 12 months? Well, I would say, Alex, that I think the biggest impact at the moment that we're going to see over the next 12 months is an impact on content production. So we're seeing a lot more things like co-productions, where we're seeing broadcasters and streamers working together on shows. One will launch in one territory and another in another. I'm thinking back to Around the World in 80 Days with David Tennant that we saw on the BBC last year. That was actually a co-production by a lot of European broadcasters. And coming up, we've got the second season of Good Omens. And that, of course, is a co-production between the BBC in the UK and Amazon worldwide. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot more of that over the next 12 to 24 months in terms of drama. High-end TV is so expensive to make for whether you're a broadcaster or a streamer. I also think it's impacting sport, the big sports broadcasters. So, for example, going back to Amazon, BT Sport and Amazon, they're going to be sharing Champions League rights from, well, this is a bit further away, 2024-25 season. But, of course, that means BT Sport loses its exclusivity, but it does reduce cost for them as well. So, for them, that's a big tick, especially, obviously, they've been going through a lot of change now with this new joint venture with Warner Brothers Discovery. Now, we're being told that everything will remain as it is for the moment but we don't know you know come back in 12 months time there could be a whole new bt sport as a single entity could be gone and it could be part of the warner brothers discovery brand and there could be a whole new streaming service that would include both sports 
Eurosport, BT Sport, and Discovery's more traditional kind of programming, things like Food Network or Discovery Channel or whatever. So I think that's a really interesting, there's going to be one to watch, I think, over the next 12 to 24 months, I would say. Yeah, so really talking about cost, cost and shared cost and ways to either through consolidation or otherwise, but sharing content, because we know the content cost is the major cost element for any operator today. Fast is something I think we should talk about as well, actually. So if anyone isn't aware, Fast is free ad-supported streaming TV. It is, yes. There's a lot of noise about it in the industry over the last, I would say, 12 months. And a lot of operators setting up and starting these new fast channels, aren't they, as a way to potentially kind of provide another tier of service or a differentiation or attracting new audiences. Is that what you're thinking about, Jen? Yeah, I would say that at IBC in September, it was one of the big things that everybody wanted to talk about was fast and the opportunities that. But it's not just the content operators that can take advantage of this. It's the content owners. They can really push into the fast market. It's such an easy way to make money off archive content. If you've got 18 series of CSI, what a great way to get that to an audience who want to watch that. I'm always being told by the tech vendors, you know, we can spin up channels into the cloud really quickly. We do that. We do that at Meripar. <laughs> I know you do. Um, if you're a big production house and you've got all these content sitting either in your cloud or on-prem or as a hybrid, which seems to be the way everyone's doing it these days, that's a great way if you can work with somebody like yourselves and then one of the big connected TV players to say, we want to launch a fast channel. We can bring somebody in to sell some ads as part of that. You've made money that you weren't expecting to maybe a year ago. But it gets crowded, right? If everybody launches a service, then you have to find it. The consumer has to find a service and the ad revenue is split between all these big players. So it turns out then to be a discovery problem to find content. Maybe it's also about making communities or finding the right group of people, you know, you can address with your special content. Yes, and I wonder about the quality of the content going on to those rapidly produced pop-up fast channels in that that content is already exclusively taken by one of the big streamers if they've got that in their long tail, and also the impact it has on available advertising dollars in, a, in what's becoming a, a tighter market. I can't quite get the economics and the rights of fast channels. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because HBO said they're taking some very well-known shows off their own streaming service because they want to launch them as fast channels. So they're saying that they're repurposing or they're not even repurposing content. They're actually moving to fast because they believe there's more revenue in fast than there is necessarily on their mainstream platform. Yes. If that platform wow. is only subscription and not advertising funded. Westworld was one of them. So HBO said, we're taking that off HBO Max and we're expecting to launch that as a fast channel. They haven't said where or when or how. That's what the expectation is. So the economic modelling about the value of Westworld deep in a subscription service where it may not be watched very much versus being able to rapidly and in a very agile way be able to put it onto a fast channel and attract dollars and be able to tear that content down, put it back up, etc. is clear in their thinking. Yes, it seems so. Maybe I've got traditional old world thinking, but the traditional model of windows for the content from the big screen initially through to back in the day, it was DVD, but then obviously goes online into streaming and then on a subscription service initially, and then maybe further down the line goes into the advertising space. That's being a little bit turned on its head, maybe. And operators are now thinking, okay, we can mix this up and move those windows around and decide when we want to put content into an ad space versus onto the subscription platform first. 
Yeah, I would say that that's actually completely collapsing. Look at what's happening with the film industry and their windowing. You know, since the start of the pandemic, we've seen that it used to be, I think, three months between a release in the cinema before it got onto home entertainment. And then from there, it goes streaming and then TV, satellite or whatever. And then finally onto terrestrial. That's collapsed completely. So we've got films now that are almost being released day and day on streaming and in the cinema or within a month of being in the cinema or that they're available nowadays to stream before they're available for home entertainment because film companies feel that they're getting more revenue making them available as streaming rather than the old discs that we all still have but i'll be honest i quite often go look for things on the streaming service rather than going through my pile of dvds (laughs) on the shelf everything should be accessible by all these days in one way or another and klaus from from your point of view from a technology standpoint talking about fast talking about building out channels quickly using cloud technologies and other technologies what do you see the challenges that operators are going to face particularly in light of what jenny's saying about changing their windows changing the approach that they've taken from a traditional approach into this more dynamic world. How do you see the technology space? You mentioned the big thing, right? It's cost, it's driving cost down on the reduction side, which is very high, but also on the delivery and, and other side. So it's more focus on efficiency and immediate return or impact. So that's clearer. It's not just doing stuff. You want to use your teams and especially you want to use your data. I think maximizing the value of data analytics is keen uh, because for all these tests and experiments and ad revenues, you have to know the numbers, right? Does it really work? Do I find the audience? How can we advertise? How can I personalize? How can I push it out? So I think a lot of that will be tapping into existing data analytics streams and also improving the lifetime of our customer value, not just you know having subscriber numbers up very high in a short time, but just keeping people in and then optimizing for ad revenue. I think this comes all together, but it's mainly about data and being fast in experimentation. I mean, try these things out quickly and promote them for a while in a certain audience. And because you have real people, you have to dress them via social media or groups and, and directly uh, via email campaigns just that people can find your uh, best world channel and, and watch it. So I think that's what I would say. The new ability because of streaming platforms, because of that feedback that we have and the ability to analyze and to see what people have watched, what they like to watch, what they don't like to watch, you can try these different business models out. That's one of those big technology shifts that's enabled things like Fast to come about, to try things, to see if they work, change those windows around those viewing windows and adapt accordingly. Yes, it's interesting you say that, Alex, because we've seen it with our customers and just talking to so many people in the industry. And the attraction of Fast is that there is so much data then generated about how consumers engage with the content, how they engage with the advertising. And it's interesting, I think, how so many of our customers, large and small, I stress here the smaller customers as well, who see the capability now because of technology, which is so much more economically available to be able to engage with their viewers and then talk to them through many channels. So our focus on consumer engagement and the customer data platforms, the customer data pipelines, which talk through social media, through on-screen promotion, through everything associated with that is so much more accessible now because of the tools that we use very economically available. I think that's fascinating in terms of how big tech has made so much more interesting data and technology available to a much broader range of customers. 
I do agree with you, Simon, but equally, I'd ask Klaus about this. Many of the operators that we work with today, we do see the accessibility of that new technology is there. Their ability in terms of their organization, but also their infrastructure that they've got built. Is it enabled and able to repurpose channels, to rebuild new channels, to release new services in a quick and efficient way? Klaus, what's your thinking on that? It's not easy, <laughs> I think, because I mean, certain business models and way of working uh, were okay for a while and changes now. I mean, you have to get speed in, right, and, and bring pop things up and bring the teams together. I mean, from you know, content purchasing or monetization to technologists to bring this all up and say we can launch a channel and make it pretty, get a UI on, promote it well, you know, have campaigns running. So that's cross-functional teams which have to act very fast together for fast channels. Yeah. So the ability for operators both old and new, traditional and some of the new players, they really need to be fleet of foot to adapt to these newer business models in this world that we go forward in. Jenny, another point in the market today, we're experiencing a saturation of SVOD, the continued fragmentation of the app-led market in these OTT services, new global players like Lionsgate coming in, Paramount joining alongside Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Amazon Prime, Warner Brothers Discovery. And then you've got all of the national broadcasters all jockeying to maintain their traditional audiences and advertising revenues. It's a fairly saturated world out there. And Simon mentioned this point earlier. So I've got two questions. Number one, is it good or bad for consumers? And second point, how do you see that trend developing going forward, this app-led world? Do you think that it's going to continue this way or do you think it's going to change over time? Well, Alex, to answer your first question, I grew up with four TV channels. And if you didn't like what was on TV, tough. Now we have so much content available to us. At times it is overwhelming. And I know I've written for TVB Europe about how research finds that often viewers are just completely overwhelmed by how much there is available. I myself find like that quite often. I'll just go back and watch The West Wing again because it's the one thing I know that I love to watch. But I think anything that means that this industry can generate more eyeballs on the TV screen has to be a good thing, doesn't it? More eyeballs means more commercial and AVOD revenue. It means there's more content that needs to be created. That means there's more work for people within the industry. Hopefully we're bringing in younger people into the industry as well. So from my point of view, I think that's definitely a good thing. I I think there is a lot of content and it is hard to work your way around it. But it also means that if you can't find anything to watch on the traditional terrestrial channels, you can go over to an SVOD and find something that you might not have tried before even. If it was on at a certain time and you can go back to you're doing something, watching what you want to watch, when you want to watch and how you want to watch. And that's been the really big change within TV viewing over the last five years, really, since Netflix, Apple, BBC iPlayer have really grown in popularity. So I would say good thing. Is it also an absolutely sort of existential necessity for the major content producers in that they're worried about losing the younger generations to short form video produced very cheaply and put out on TikTok or YouTube or whatever? And so there is an absolute necessity to retain that audience and bring them through into adulthood and maturity watching content on the big screen. I was at Arise, the advocacy group for bringing women into the broadcast industry, and they had a brilliant open day earlier in the summer and I interviewed a couple of the students there and they said to me 
the way that they watch content when they do watch content is via an app, whether that be an iPlayer app, Netflix app. They don't go towards the traditional turn on the satellite or preview or whatever. Linear isn't for them anymore. It's watching what they want to watch when they want to watch it. BBC's Director General Tim Davies said that the internet's going to become an even bigger player in broadcast. And if you watch any trails for the BBC... It's always iPlayer. It's not, this is coming up on BBC One. It's, you can watch this on iPlayer. Channel 4 recently said they're renaming all four. their BVOD, or Broadcast Video On Demand. That's going to be renamed just Channel 4 because they don't want to distinguish between the linear and the VOD components of what they do. They want it all to be the same so that somebody will just say, I'm watching it on Channel 4. doesn't matter whether you're watching it on all four or whether you're watching it on linear. So I think as viewers, we're moving towards streaming over traditional, over the air. I myself cut the cord earlier this year. I stream everything now via my smart TV, which is great when the internet works. It didn't the other week, and so I couldn't watch anything, which was a bit frustrating. But of course, there are issues around that. So I watch a lot of sport on my TV via streaming, and I have real issues with latency. I can be up to two minutes behind traditional broadcast. So there is an issue with that, I think. TV manufacturers, internet providers, broadcasters, they need to work together to sort out those issues with latency because it's all well and good tech vendors constantly touting they've got this ultra low latency streaming. But if it's not working on that final mile to viewers, what's the point? I know that a lot of the ultra low latency is to do with the way that content is being produced and it's allowing a sports broadcaster to maybe work remotely. And that's great. But I don't care as a viewer. I don't care how quickly they're working on it if I'm still two minutes behind what is a traditional broadcast. That needs sorting out. Yes, Jenny, as having worked in the industry for a horribly long number of years, I found the same. Longer than you, Alex. I was listening to Radio 5 Live and the commentary from one of the games. I got into my house, turned on the television, and it was still quite far behind. It was a minute and a half or so. And it got me thinking, well, actually, where is the latency? It's not in my broadband supplies. Where is that upstream? What are the cloud tools which are being used here that bring that kind of latency in? I don't know if you have an idea on that, Klaus. It's the whole chain, right? It's from the CDN technologies where you have packets and segments which you have to download and you have to buffer them. That's one part, but also like the encoding and the production side is also not... I mean, I think there's still working on that latency is one part of it. But the problem is really, I mean, serving so many people at the same time is still a challenge. We have some customers who have million concurrent viewers in multiple uh, European countries. They have to talk to all the CDN vendors and also the telcos because, I mean, serving so many people at the same time is is not easy. But, I mean, it's getting better. I mean, they're now on 1080p, which you can serve. And the guys from product said, let's do 4K. We said, oh, let's wait a bit. <laughs> let's first do 1080p in the right way. But I mean, it will take some time still, but I think there's enough initiatives. I don't think it will be solved here on 2023, but it will improve gradually. Yeah, it is a big issue for live live sports particularly, I think. We definitely see that. But right back to the point then, Jenny, you really see that the flooding of the content into the marketplace is a good thing for the industry. It's a good thing for consumers. It gives great diversity of content for the consumer base and having different applications to access them. If you're fixing those or you're joining the content data, the metadata behind the scenes to make sure that each has access or the platforms that I'm viewing through as a consumer have access to be able to search and find the right content, then that's acceptable, right? 
It'd be great if one day we had just one app, almost on TV, but I can't find anything on Netflix. Now I'm going to go over to Amazon, then I'm going over to Apple, then I'm going over to Disney. But there are things that are not part of your TV that you can use to do that. So I use an app on my phone that tells me what new shows are available and also tells me if I'm looking for a particular film or TV series, I can search on that and it tells me which one it's available on. Usually not one that I have, but that's my problem. Yeah, I do think that we're going to move more and more towards internet and app and i think that some of the broadcasters are very well aware of that now to your point what you said before uh, you know that people share the content now different providers i mean they might also do a bit more cross promotion and aggregate content maybe the bigger ones mm. as we said good omens is bbc in the uk so you can watch it on iplayer if you want to but rest of the world i think it is amazon so i do think that there will be a lot more co-production between the traditional broadcasters and the streamers to share the cost of things, definitely. And the bottom line is, as you said, Jenny, that the younger audiences, they're used to this, right? They don't care. So from their point of view, they've grown up in a world where they're accessing everything through apps and their preferred apps. So as long as they can find it, they'll find it. So Jenny, do you see a problem coming around regulation and compliance and protection in terms of we have more apps? There is, of course, protection for anything and regulation around anything that appears on BBC One through Channel 5 in the UK. And I'm sure that's the same across most countries. But the moment we have a free proliferation of apps coming onto any device, whether that is an operator's set-top box, and we're seeing operators put a lot more onto their platforms, or just via phone, iPad, connected TV. Do you see compliance and regulation going to be an issue? And how is our industry technology going to support, I suppose, whether that's the broadband providers or the connected TV providers or the operators? How are we going to help them ensure that they don't fall foul of national governments? Well, it does look like, certainly here in the UK, the UK government is preparing to give Ofcom the authority to regulate streamers that are available here in the UK. In fact, I wrote about that very, very recently for TVB Europe's website. It is looking like that's probably going to be included in the media bill that will be published. I think the... The FCC, they're obviously very aware of what's available on the streaming services and the impact the streaming services are having in the United States. I think once the UK and the US start to regulate them more, you'll see that happen around the world. It will go wider globally. What the I'm not sure what the TV manufacturers can do. I mean, they don't really get involved with regulation at the moment in terms of what's available on all the different on all the channels that Ofcom currently regulate. So I think they would probably turn around and say, why do we need to get involved? You've got a very powerful regulator in Ofcom already, and we're not involved with traditional broadcasts. Why do we need to be involved with OTT or Westford or apps or, or however you want to describe it? I think if and when it does happen, it will be that one overreaching organisation. And we'll see how that develops over the next 12 months. I think there's a big bit of regulation for like journalists, you know, what's the default journalist and so on in each country where you have to have a certain order and can you just Samsung sell you the first place. But again, it's about discovery again. How do you find content? And if you're beyond the 999 channels, is it then 1000 or 10,000? I mean, at one point, you know, it doesn't work anymore. No, indeed. So just to talk about last points, Jenny, do you have any other big predictions for 2023 that you think are coming down the line in terms of the media and entertainment industry? 
I'm not sure if it's a big prediction, but I think we'll certainly see remote production continue to have a big impact on the broadcast and media industry. It's been so busy for sport over the last two years. I mean, we've had the Summer Olympics, the Winter Olympics, the Euros, the World Cup. Those are just the really big ones. I think 2023 looks to be a quieter year. I know we've got a big Rugby World Cup, but that's kind of about it, I think, in terms of major, major sporting events around the world. So I think it might be time for a lot of the broadcasters or streaming services to kind of catch their breath and see where we are with the way that they're delivering and producing content. But I do think that move to remote production, which is being driven by the cloud, is going to continue. There are broadcasters that I know that will continue to push those boundaries. And I think we'll see in 2023, maybe more of those traditional broadcasters that have been a bit wary of the cloud, luck up to some of the more innovative broadcasters are doing, and maybe start trialling it themselves as well. Well, of course, that's very interesting for us because it's a lot of what Meripar does today. And I agree with you. I think that there's a point about remote production is about cost saving in very expensive production environments, right? So that's very relevant. Klaus, from your point of view, to come into that from a cloud perspective, how do you see cloud really enabling operators today, broadcasters save money? To this point, I mean, you might see different sports, you know, either niche sports, with a certain audience or esports, you know, which can be produced and fill the gap. And especially for younger people, who watch TikTok and might get into it. And then production cost is very important. And also, you know, keeping costs down, meaning you need some elastic uh, fabric. So you need a cloud to spin channels up and bring them down again and be very flexible and try to save cost everywhere. In the end, and I think there the cloud can help and orchestration and automation can help there also a lot. And maybe if the big sports isn't on, maybe all this niche stuff might catch a bit of, a, of an interest there. I think also there's an opportunity for more artificial intelligence to be used, certainly in video production workflows and looking at certain video analytics. I've seen a few cases now that we've been involved in, Klaus, I know you have as well, where we've built AI technologies to enable video production workflows to be more efficient, to look at the content, to rationalize and to make more efficient those workflows. Yeah, it's clipping also, you know, or find points of interest and then also bring them to the audience in a certain TikTok feed, which is also AI driven, right? Every recommendation feed is driven and then you have to need good metadata and try to feed this into these audience groups. Yeah, for sure. It's an interesting new world. After all of the years of COVID, I think that we're going to see further change and more rapid change. Yeah, but you see again, data is, is very important. Personalization is very important. And one of our customers asked once that the consumers who churned quit the service, why did they quit and then some oh I couldn't find this in this content and they said yeah but we have the content on the platform but they couldn't find it right so it, it's really about optimizing you know the experience of our customer giving the right content I mean these bigger platforms they have 20,000 titles on yeah how can you find what you want to watch I mean and it's about recommendation also personal recommendations and so on that's a very relevant point isn't it consumers the importance in this big world of so much content finding that content and also keeping those consumers engaged and interested keeping them happy. And you're not going to be a happy customer if you can't find what you want to find. So very important. Okay. Well, thank you all for today. I think that rounds up our 2023 thoughts in the media industry. Big thank you to Jenny and to Klaus for joining us on this episode. And I hope that our listeners have got some insights into the year ahead. So thank you both for joining us. Simon and I will be back on our next episode of the Destination Cloud podcast series, exploring interesting business and technology trends and challenges in the media and entertainment space. Until then, feel free to look us up at www.meripar.com. Thank you and goodbye for now.